So Lindsay, we are starting our second season of the Reflective Teacher Podcast. So exciting. Too excited. Yes. So as you know, I'm Martha Weil. And I'm Lindsay Elliott. And um, I should say that this podcast is still brought to you by the lovely Jewish United Fund of Chicago. And we are so grateful for their support. Um, This second season of ours has lots of variety in terms of topics that do have to do with the craziness that is the world right now and that don't. So that are just like kind of more normal in-person early childhood kind of um, topics that we're all still wondering about, still exploring. Um, This episode in particular to kick things off is about technology. Um, Yes, because of COVID, but also because a few years ago, I was at a conference put on by JUF actually, and I saw a speaker that said, you know, the internet is like a place and you wouldn't just let your child go into any random place by themselves. And the internet is no different than that. And that really like resonated with me and you know kids have a lot of unsupervised time at times on on the computer and yeah it just made me think and want to learn more about technology and young children so we were really lucky to have a lovely expert for this episode Lindsay tell us about our expert so our guest this episode is Erin Walsh and she and her father co-founded Spark and Stitch Institute, and her father is Dr. David Walsh, and they've been doing research together, I would say, for a very long time. Her father had done research prior to to her doing this with him, Um, and they do a lot of research around, like, child development in the digital age. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of seems like Spark and Stitch, their main kind of goal is, like, parenting and wellness for children around, like, the digital world, and their part of their mission, I think, is being committed to sparking greater understanding of why kids need courage and connection to thrive and how to foster that in the digital age. Yes. And I would say our, our interview with Aaron was lovely because it had like a very positive vibe and it was just nice to know that Zoom and all of the digital learning that kids are doing is not bad. And it's just another tool that we can use. And depending on how you use it, it's a wonderful tool. Yeah, I think it was, um, it's a good conversation, just made me feel a lot better about what I'm doing as a teacher, and I'm sure for you too, because like we've said before, it's kind of like a weird fine line when people are saying too much screen time, and then your director or your district or your principal or whatever is saying, where's your technology how can we get more technology in the classroom so it's like oh what am i doing how much how little and so now i feel like after talking to aaron i can say to any haters like i know what i'm doing leave me alone no we've got a handle on it um then also before i forget we need to say that they have a webinar coming up and it's on september 22nd at 3 30 p.m cdt and it is titled Kids, Screens, and Mental Health. So I feel like it's wonderful for parents and teachers alike. Uh, and we will put it up on our blog. So you will have a link to get you there just to register. It's really simple. 
Yes. Otherwise, you can go to sparkandstitchinstitute.com. I've been to other webinars of hers and they're wonderful. She has a chill vibe. Like we were just, we really loved talking to her and you'll see she's just like a very calming and cool person. So without any further ado, here's our interview with Erin Walsh. Hello. Erin? Yes, Hi. this is Erin. It's Lindsay and Martha. Hi. Well, hello. How are you both? Good. We're good. How are you? I'm I'm hanging in there. Today's a good day. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a roller <laughs> you coaster. Know. You never know these days. <laughs> yeah, we were literally, Martha and I were just talking about that. And then we're like, oh, it's two. We got a call. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we yeah. just had like a little emotional pour out. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you could ask me that question in three hours. It might be totally different. Yeah. Yes. It's the fun of the times. That we're <laughs> oh, gosh, what, what a wild ride. Well, thanks for thinking of me for the yeah. podcast. No, thank yes. you so much for... Um, accepting and joining it what what Erin why don't we start with just like a little background about yourself and kind of how you got into education and the kind of position that you're in now great yeah so my name is Erin Walsh and um, I'm currently the co-founder of Spark and Stitch Institute uh, together with my dad Dr. Dave Walsh um, and we really focusing on parenting and teaching for courage and connection with a specific focus on the digital age, so really looking at screen time and social-emotional development of kids and teens. And, you know, I start off with my current um, job in saying that I do this work together collaboratively with my dad. Um, But if you ask kind of my history of how I got into the field, it's a little bit more of a complicated story. Of course, if you go to our website now, we're kind of arm in arm, uh, (laughs) clearly excited collaborators. But I actually got into the field not initially as a professional but as a kid because my parents started the National Institute on Media and the Family in the 90s when I was in high school yeah wow (laughs) when no one was really talking about these issues yeah Um, yeah and so that work the the mission of that nonprofit was to maximize the benefits and minimize the harms of media's impact on child health and development so obviously very related to our conversation here today, and yeah. you may think, given that you know where my career went, that I was excited and on board with the mission of my parents' work right yeah. away, but of course, remember that I was a teenager at the time, <laughs> so I was not on board. You know, I said, I want nothing to do with you in your life. I don't think screens have any power, and you know, marched, marched off into the world, and it didn't take long for me to realize that this conversation about screens and technology of course, wasn't going anywhere. It was only accelerating and intensifying. And um, I realized I really wanted to be a part of that conversation. So we've been translating the research on media's impact on child health and development since then together for families and educators. Um, Well, that's awesome. It kind of seems like it's, it runs deep a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, really. And some things have changed so much. Yeah, Uh, certainly technology has, but other things really, I mean, some of the basic sort of grounding frameworks that were relevant then are still really relevant now in terms of that, you know, how do we take advantage of the benefits? How do we minimize the risks um, and help ensure that kids can thrive online and offline? Awesome. Well, I guess to start just like right off the bat, what comes to my mind when you say screen time, you kind of in the webinar that we watched about like the you know, COVID-related screen time. You talked about how we, when we say screen time, 
I think a lot of parents hear, hear like, ah, like that's yeah, like something limit to screen time. something limit. to limit. Yeah, and then you're saying yes. it's really about what is happening and the quality of the content um, during screen time. Exactly. So I mean, screen time is this. It's a useful measure when we start just trying to understand sort of how do we crudely get in a sense of how much time kids are spending in front of a screen or with technology. Mm-hmm. But its usefulness kind of ends there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, hours are important. We can talk about that. But really what, what you're referring to is that what we know is that how kids use it, when they use it, what they're doing there, who else is around um, the sort of quality of what they're doing, uh, you know, the nature of the relationships, connection, and learning that are mm-hmm. happening there, that, those are the interesting questions. Um, and so a screen is not a screen is not a screen, right? Yeah. So we have passive use and active use, and there's so many creative ways kids are using media, and they're not all created equal. Got it. Well, I feel like when you talk about like the difference, different kinds of screen time, screen time and things like for me, I was so originally we wanted to do this episode because I had seen a speaker who I'm now forgetting the name of. And he talked a little bit about screen time and just how the Internet and this. So I was kind of like you, Aaron, where I was like, yeah, people say screen time is bad, but, like, I don't really fully understand how it is bad or, like, what, like what does that mean? What and, the yeah. negative impacts yeah. could be. Yeah. And, like, as a teacher, I'm always being told to add technology, even but if also, it's not necessarily a screen. But also limit it. You know what I mean? But like also, get, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> add technology, <laughs> but also limit it. Do it, but yeah. don't do it. Parents don't want to hear that you're doing too much. But, but like, we need to teach them. What, <laughs> what yeah. this speaker said that was, like, really eye-opening to me was that he pointed out that, like, right nowadays the internet is a place it's a new place and you wouldn't as a parent let your child go into a physical place by themselves at a young young age or without knowing more of like the context or you know information about where they were going and it's very similar to how a website or just anything that your child interacts with digitally um you want to know what's going on there. And so that really like sparked my interest in learning more about technology and just like what I love the, that. Yeah. What the right. thoughts are. Yeah. I love, I love that. Um, I, I love that idea because it really, it says it begs us to ask that set of questions, right? Yeah. If the internet is a place, then we need to understand who are they going there with? What are they going to be doing there? How long are they going to be there? Just like we would think about a park. Right. Um, so it doesn't yeah. mean that it's inherently bad or dangerous, but we do approach it with a set of questions um, about what's going to be happening there. And that's exactly how we can approach um, technology and screens, both at home and at school. Mm. Right. So what are like the effects of technology um, and on a child's development? Yeah, so this, the question of kind of what is the impact of media on kids um, is really complicated, mm-hmm. partially because it's driven by their, by their habits and practices. Um, okay. And so if we're talking, if we're looking at sort of preschool age children, young children, mm-hmm. um, what we know is that, you know, too much screen time that gets in the way of other activities that children need uh, to grow and develop things like connection, relationship, talking, play, Mm -hmm. active learning, right? If screen time starts to get in the way of those things, then we can start to see some 
some negative outcomes, whether that comes to uh, in relationship to school readiness or behavior. Um, we also know that you know screen time or technology, when families use it together to connect, um, to learn, that it's not inherently a, a toxic substance. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, really, when we look at the evidence, we, at the extremes, especially when you're talking about sort of. Um, if, if a child is spending the vast majority of the day passively parked in front of a screen, of course, we're going to see some negative physical, mental, and emotional health mm-hmm. outcomes. Um, once we start getting into the sort of screens are one activity of many in a child's day, mm-hmm. then we start to look at kind of when are they using it um, or when are they interacting with it and who else is around in early childhood that question of kind of what are the adults around the child doing becomes really, really important to help not just minimize risk, but to help them get the most out of whether they're watching a show or using an app. Um, Kids get the most out of technology, especially in younger years, when they're engaging in technology in collaboration with an adult whether that's a teacher or a parent or even siblings. Wow, Wow. okay. So, or with, so like maybe even like a peer too, or? Yeah, Yeah, we have a, you know, there's there's sort of a joke in the field, you know, that there's a lot of focus on one-to-one, but we might, you know, one-to-one child-to-device, but we might be better focused, uh, better off if we focused on sort of two-to-one or three-to-one. Interesting. (laughs) And that can get logistically difficult, but we want to see children um, interacting around uh, a screen, maybe in the same way that they might be gathered around a pile of blocks or Legos that they're doing things. That's where we start to see that technology becomes part of active learning and collaboration rather than something where a child sort of turns away from other people and is sort of a passive recipient. Not that not that um, right. what we think of as like old-fashioned television content is bad. In fact, children, young children, are very, very hungry consumers of stories. And so well-developed television is can be great for kids um yeah so yeah. those are the kinds of things it's i'm not trying to avoid your your question of what's the impact but it really does oh, it, depends. it depends on the it's child a, it depends on how they're using question. screens yeah yeah it's like there's so many layers to it exactly and yeah. i think it i think it really yeah it's just like too broad to be like this is the impact and just going back to a little bit about like you said that younger children do best when they're kind of interacting with an adult throughout Um, Do you have more to say about like what kind of screen use is just right for um, or even just technology use is just right for like the three to six, maybe even younger than three, but like the early childhood range? I, I think where screen time does as a as a crude measurement is helpful. Yeah, is that there there it is useful to take a step back now and then and be like, where are we at? Like, what is our what is our baseline? Because we do know that you know, for example, we don't have a ton of good evidence that screens benefit kids under eighteen months old. Okay, it's not because screens are bad or toxic, but developmentally, babies learn through interaction closeness right there there's um what we call a transfer deficit where really young children actually don't make good meaningful connections between what they learn on screens and what they see in the real world um so Uh, yeah, so under 18 months old, that's not to say, the, the one thing that the American Academy of Pediatrics is sure to, to remind us is, you know, things like FaceTime or video chatting, uh, a baby might not necessarily understand what's going on, mm-hmm. but when we use that to kind of 
you know, for example, um, strengthen a connection with an auntie or a grandma who's right. in a different state, right? This is not a bad use of technology. Right. Um, so it. we don't have to like construct a wall between babies and right, twins, but right. Um, one of the things we know is that their brains are growing and developing so much that we, they may not be able to absorb the content, but they are, um, you know, running all kinds of little experiments and learning how to pay attention and focus their attention. And so sort of a steady diet of screen time doesn't, can get in the way of yeah. adult interaction. Really, that's yeah. one of the things. For example, we have studies of, you know, there are studies of talking toys with babies. So right. does that help children learn how to talk or not? Um, it doesn't, as it turns out. You uh-huh. know, handing a talking toy to a mm. one-year-old doesn't help, um, not just because, well, you know, the toy wasn't made correctly. It's because generally when we hand talking toys to a one-year-old, us grown-ups stop talking. <laughs> we uh-huh. sort of outsource yeah. it to the noisy toy. And uh-huh. the number one one way that we teach children how to talk is by talking to them, right. humans with our full face. So those are the kinds of complexities. Under 18 months old, we really only want to use screens for, you know, trying to build connection through video mm-hmm. chatting, FaceTiming. Now, does that mean if older siblings watching a show and they, they you know, it's not a toxic substance, but we, we don't want to start saying, well, in order to get my child ready for kindergarten at one we're going to start up them on the iPad. We don't have a lot of evidence to back that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If, right? And it can get in the way of what they do need to, to be ready yeah, for, right. for some other kinds of learning. I was telling Martha, my one-year-old boy like loves grabbing my phone and swiping it already. I was of like, course, How did you know yeah. swipe it? It's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. I know. That and that's the thing it. where we want to, you know, we have parents who... You know, screen time guilt and this feeling of, yeah. you know, if it's on in the house, when a baby's in the yeah. house, immediately their brain changes. I mean, that is just clearly not how yeah. brain development works. Oh, so I what we that. talk about is, you know, whatever the brain does a lot of is what the brain gets good at. So well, we're looking for patterns. <laughs> if the default yeah. mode is to always hand your 12-month-old <laughs> an iPad for an hour, right, that's very different from like, right. you know we live in families and with all of us are using media right. so they're going to be around it well and um, I say that like I always like think of course my one year old or sorry my first child didn't have any screen time ever you know until like she was older yeah, yeah. but now she watches <laughs> she watches tv and so he'll like kind of zone and do it sometimes but I'm like there are plenty of people that have multiple children and their kids are fine when they see screens before like two or three you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, like, yeah. you can, yeah. It's, you can it's, they'll be okay that. they'll be okay yes, yeah they'll make they it. will they'll be make okay it. <laughs> it's really like why are we yeah you know what are, not, i i really like to take a systems approach to screen time yeah. so as a family like what why are we using it if our if our goal is that i need to get dinner on the table and i have three kids and they're watching a show that you know is age appropriate enough then great if my goal is that I want my child to learn imagination and creativity and learn how to talk then that's probably not the best way to do it um, with with babies but we all have different goals at different times and we live in the real world so we have to figure out how do we um, the more that we can sort of use screens with young young children the better they call it sort of joint engagement or co- co-viewing um, but you know we're all in the real world so most of us often have a time in our day where we use screens not because right. we're going to be sitting next to them but because we have things we need to do right, <laughs> in, right. in our lives and so it's just it's we have to do some real talk about all right so if we're going to use screens then we should let's pay attention to quality then mm-hmm. and then totally. we switch from ours to let's yeah. make sure it's as age appropriate and high quality media as possible because and- the the recommendation is about an hour a day for two to five-year-olds. Okay. Um, and then after that is two hours a day. 
But again, we don't want to get caught in that doesn't mean right. an hour and a half inevitably means poor outcomes, right? It's These are sort of where the crude measurements are helpful right. and sort of a check-in, but then we have to take our own family's priorities and, and situation into account. Yeah, and would you, like, what kind of approach would you use for, like, a classroom, for classroom learning? Yeah, you um, know, so that's also, so those recommendations are for entertainment media. Yeah. Um, and most of oh. the recommendations actually don't include what we call learning media hmm. or um, ah. academic uses of media in those guidelines. So this is when parents, when COVID came and everybody was oh. um, all of a sudden immersed in distance learning. It's like, oh yeah. my gosh, I'm well over my screen time limit. And those recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics as broad guidelines um, are really focused on entertainment, non-school use. I that's, love that. That's so good to know. I you never hear that. Can you imagine right now as our reliance on screens increases? Exactly. Right. Um, it must be so stressful. It's like, I'm a bad parent. I'm a bad parent. You know what I mean? Oh. Yeah. And then we just want to pay attention to our, we have to give ourselves permission to pay attention to our kids. Mm-hmm. So you can have a five-year-old who feels creative and connected and kind of inspired by the, um, either the app they're using right. or the show they're watching. And you can have another kid who is irritable and angry, um, his behavior changes afterwards, same show, same app, different kids. And we have to give ourselves permission to pay attention to our own children and their own temperament, their own wiring, their own needs, um, which are going to be really different. Right. We know parents, you know, are the experts on their children and I think it's okay for them to step into their expertise and say like what they think their child can handle. And I don't know, I would love to hear your opinion on this, but I've had students where their attention span and their ability to start an activity in the classroom, non-technology activity, is their ability to do that is very low. Like, they are not able to, like, think creatively without lots of prompting. Like, they need a jump start. Obviously, they can do it once they get started, but I think, I feel like that's a sign of, like, this kid is, has a screen a lot. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you brought up attention because um, if that is probably one of the main things that we sometimes miss and that's essential in terms of what children need, what experiences help them develop the muscle of attention. Um, and yeah. screens can, chronic screen or excessive screen use, yeah. background media is uh-huh. a huge wow. thing. Um can really get in the way of children developing sort of focused attention. Um, Right. And when we're sort of every time I'm bored, if I'm handed a screen, it can be really difficult for me to just develop that ability to self-start activities. Um, So those are uh, the kinds of patterns we want to watch out for. Uh, Turning off background media is one of the main things we can do in early childhood Hmm. to help children focus on what matters because it's really easy if you have your three-year-old in the corner and they're they're playing with Legos yeah. and you're watching a show, nine times out of ten, parents are like, well, they're not watching the show. They don't care about my show. And it has nothing to do with the content, nothing to do with the hours, yeah. quote-unquote, of screen time, and everything to do with attention. Likely, right. if, you pay a, if you watch that child, their eyes are drawn to the movement on the screen really frequently, drawing their attention away from play. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we develop that skill of focused attention as part of our executive function skills through practice. And so reducing that sort of uh, background screen distraction is one of the things that we can do to, to make sure that screens aren't getting in the way of play mm. and focus and things that children are naturally 
gonna be doing okay and when you say background i kind of also think about like is music okay like yeah music's a really interesting so music is a mixed bag when it comes to kind of the science of multitasking Mm -hmm. um if children are paying attention to music then it becomes potentially a competing influence Mm. for their attention so okay again um you know if i'm playing blocks but then i'm also like sort of constantly switching between those two things yeah um, that's really yeah that's different from something that sort of becomes almost like background noise either because i've listened to it a hundred times or because it's kind of constructed in that way like classical um, music in the background <laughs> we're trying yeah, to get games of joke we, we, music. With little kids, we have more control once the kids get older you know the joke is like no teenager wants to sit down and do homework with classical music yeah um, yeah but like, we actually... so then it really becomes like is it too loud yeah is, and we can just watch the kids like are they is it getting in the way of okay. you know if they're if they're at the sensory table and they're doing things and they keep switching between that and doing actions to a song when that's not Got kind it. of the focus right. of the okay. activity, then, then we know, right? Really? So we okay. can, Martha and I um, play background music typically in the mornings and I didn't, I've never thought of it like that, but now we're trying to get a gauge of like, is it hindering them or is yeah. it helping? Also just as somebody thinking about my yeah. future, like when I have kids, like yeah. I am that person that needs background all the time. I have awful attention, awful. <laughs> but um, totally, that sensory stim is really important. Yeah, and yeah. For kids too, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So just thinking yeah. about, and we're thinking about you know those things about like entering a classroom that can create kind of like a shared experience. It creates a soothing yeah. environment. It creates right. a shared experience where maybe kids are paying attention to the music together. So yeah, you know, kids obviously don't go from just like a totally sensory um you know they're not just in a totally focused environment versus chaotic they're you know we're we're basically just like thinking about you know why am I putting on the music do I think it's helping is it going to get in the way of whatever they're doing now or is it gonna like you said sort of create actually some background noise that might drown out distractions from other kids yeah and I like I just like your idea of just paying attention to them and like noticing are they they like taking their attention away from their play or are they able to like continue their play with the background noise right I love yeah. it noise. Yeah. it's not just like about like listening to like the recommendation it's about like yeah. taking that and using observation it's a tool <laughs> it's a tool observation yeah. is a tool yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the same thing when we watch our kids I mean we talked about attention but one of the other things we want to look for and look Little kids is sort of emotional regulation, obviously, is like the central task of early childhood, (laughs) or one of the major developmental tasks, and so, you know, can we let our kids sit with uncomfortable feelings without distracting them with a device? Um, Does that mean that we can't ever use it as a way to, like, get out of a grocery store? No, of course not. Like, we don't need to be shaming each other. We're just looking for patterns, right? Am I I okay with letting my child feel sad or mad, and letting them just experience that feeling and move through it, rather? than distracting them with a device and is that a pattern or is it just today because today is hard and I needed a I needed another tool right Right. so we give we give ourselves grace and we look for patterns which I think yeah grace and patterns is a great thing to think about in the classroom too yeah yeah I love it um I guess maybe we can talk now about some more of the benefits side um for young children with technology and like maybe in talking about benefits, we want to talk about, like, specific, like, learning outcomes or even specific, like, programs or whatever. Apps that or Yeah, apps, things that work well and what they do. 
Yeah, so I mean the benefits of screens I think all depend upon how they're how the educator is using them or how the, the parent is using them. But certainly the same kind of things that we see for older kids are true for younger kids. So access to information, access to different experiences. So if I'm going in outside and I'm looking for animal homes, um of the kind that live in my backyard, maybe in my city of Minneapolis, then I can also go online with my teacher and look up animal homes for animals that live in Kenya or, you know, like there's, there's fun, um, obviously ways that we can just introduce new experiences, new ways to connect. Um, you know, when we're looking at, uh, English language learners and just access to books in the family's home language, all, you know, all of those sort of, um, learning tools that mm-hmm. allow children to experience um, things that, especially now during COVID, right, that right. they can't necessarily. Right, like an extension. <laughs> so we have these virtual field trips and, and, and things and things like that. Um, yeah. I think when it comes to, I mean, what, when you're asking for specific app recommendations, yeah. I think the challenge for educators and parents is that it's, we actually don't have a good universal rating system. Um, the Joan Gans Cooney Center, which really looks at learning online and early childhood, released a study that basically said the App Store is like the Wild West. Oh my <laughs> God, there's, it is. Very different. There's like thousands of apps. They all say they're educational. There's oh not a lot of evidence to back most of them up. <laughs> it makes us grown-ups feel good when kids know their letters, numbers, yeah. and colors. Now, that's great. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, it's no, not bad no. to learn your letters and your numbers, but the work of early childhood is is all about executive function and emotional mm-hmm. regulation and perspective taking and impulse control and creativity. So all of these so-called non-cognitive skills is actually what we want children to be practicing. And so this is, this is hard because you go to the app store and the vast majority of them are focused on these very... Um, sort of traditionally academic mm-hmm. drill and practice. And yes, so we totally. actually want to look for tools that are more open-ended, right. that right. actually embody the spirit of play. Mm-hmm. Like if you yeah. look at Legos or blocks, or <laughs> like we want to be looking for tools that kind of have that same opportunity for the child to bring their own imagination and their own inquiry. Um, and that it isn't just them sort of, I see something, I say it back, I get a prize. I see yeah. something, I say it back, I get I a prize. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I think what comes to mind for me is like the apps that we like have, we've used like storytelling apps um, where yes, children, yeah. children can create stories and, or like, what is it, chatter picks or whatever, where they can kind of yeah. talk into yeah. the, and like really kind of animate and story create and um I think those work well Mm -hmm. for like the classroom and like you're saying they're kind of open-ended and they're not just like hey ah, apple yeah 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 Yeah. which makes grown-ups are like look they're getting smarter yeah oh no that you know there's so much more (laughs) that goes into learning with young brains that doesn't show up always um and just these sort of traditional academic learning yeah and I feel like that's sometimes why I have a hard time with like technology or like kind of apps and games in the classroom is because I do think that kids need to focus on that socialization and like you know navigating all of those different like the problem solving and creativity and all that kind of stuff so a lot of times when I you know I think about technology in the classroom it kind of like scares me I'm like I don't know do we need that they really need to be socializing but when you're talking about using technology 
with other kids and having a, like a couple yeah. of kids that on one app at a time or what you know playing a game at a time then it makes more sense I think to what we're doing yeah. as early childhood how educators. do we accomplish that mission using right. apps like that's totally. what you're saying like yeah. you look at what you want to do and say can I fit yeah. in technology to help yeah. me right well and I love what you just the question you just asked is really the question we can ask and it's just do we need that <laughs> and it, yeah. sometimes we do right so it's you know, I think, you know, the National Association of the Education of Young Children um, in their statement on technology and young children and learning is really about it's one tool of many. Um, so we don't want to use technology just to use technology. It's like, oh, because it's new and shiny, it must be good for kids. It's it's really about what, yeah, what are, what are we going for here? What are the learning outcomes? What's the activity? Will technology help or get in the way? And sometimes we don't know until we've tried it. Yeah. <laughs> and is it and yeah. is it used of one of many ways for children to engage? Right. Um, and so oftentimes it's not for little kids. It's not even the shiny, highly developed app. It's just the storytelling mm-hmm. video app or photos or a magnifying glass that goes onto the computer, right? These sort of yeah. kind of lower tech but but cool ways for kids to investigate the world and share their ideas, their right. stories, their photos. Um, I love those kinds of apps we think are a lot more developmentally appropriate, especially if kids can actually use them. We want to make sure um, sometimes learning the app takes so much cognitive effort (laughs) that they actually don't have any bandwidth left to actually do the content. So the more simple, developmentally appropriate, uh, Mm -hmm. the better. We don't want them wasting all their cognitive energy on just figuring out how to move the thing, you know, swipe it in the exact right way and those kinds of things. Yeah, and like speaking of that, like we do a lot of documentation in our classroom, so even just like having them help us with that, like you, like you're saying, like taking pictures and just that kind of, yeah, something simple like that is a way to introduce it and to have them kind of help us and take charge of it, take charge of it, but not like too much. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Of, it's, it's one of many. Speaking one of, of yeah. low tech, we also use like an old school projector a lot in our classroom. Yeah. Yes. Um, just yeah, to get, you know, awesome. like there's like the whole light and shadow thing, and there's, you know, it's fun to let the kids play with that and project images and things like that. And I would just argue that like it would be hard to find a downside to playing with that kind of technology. Oh, it sounds beautiful. Exactly. Yep. And part of what we're doing is that sometimes this is helpful for parents to, um, you know, we're not talking about little babies here, but when we're talking about, you know, kids that are getting into that elementary years and and preparing for that, um, what we don't want to do is raise kids who only see technology as entertainment. Right. So they only see it as something they do when they're watching their favorite show. That's okay. great. They can have their favorite shows, and there's some extraordinary television for children. Mm-hmm. But we actually want children to see technology as a learning tool, as right. a creative tool. And okay. they do that when they see us modeling that we can use these tools as one of many ways to investigate our world mm-hmm. and share our ideas with each other. Um, so, so we're actually helping them build this the sort of emotional scaffolding around technology so that mm-hmm. um, as their own relationship with it inevitably grows, they have they already see this as a place not just to sit and consume you know, a produced show somebody made for them, but that they have some sort of agency and authorship and all the things we want as kids, you know, are getting up into upper elementary, middle and high school. Totally. Yeah. Like I feel like our school is actually kind of just starting to explore and I don't know what it'll look like this year, but, um, like with, we have an innovation lab 
and it's got a lot of technology components to it and we've kind of introduced the younger kids to it as well in our in our grade but um, I think it's a cool way to like showcase like technology as a tool mm -hmm. and kind of um, use it for more of that problem solving realm and less of the entertainment realm that you're talking about. Yeah, and I feel like there's so yeah. many ways you can collaborate with other class members with all of those different tools too. Yeah, so like, yeah, and that I mean what you're describing. Imagine the different. That's you know when we think of what our conversation started with what's the impact of screens, right? You walk into one classroom and there's children doing hands-on investigation. Maybe they've been outside for most of the day. They're, I mean, this is maybe pre-COVID, but yeah, you know, bringing people into the classroom, classroom, they maybe have a microscope and they're projecting images, yeah. right? There's there's tech kind of integrated into a really play-based environment. Yeah. That's really different from walking into a classroom where each five-year-old has their own iPad and they mm. spend a half hour just dragging shapes yeah. over to the right side of the screen, right? Those yeah. are really different. Whoa. <laughs> um, and one yeah. we know is much more developmentally appropriate than the other. One sounds a lot more fun than the other, too. Like, I yeah, know, like, yeah. I, just... I think we know, like, little kid learning when we see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Wait, this is um, a major tangent, but maybe <laughs> I'm tangenting again. Maybe your maybe Spark and Stitch needs to figure out a way to like help rate apps, like you know, like a universal. Yeah, system. you know, <laughs> I know there's, I know the app so rating. We'll the have to put mark. some stuff. We'll have to put some stuff in in the show notes because, yeah. um, you know, there's good common yeah. sense media is a great um, is a great resource. Children's technology review is a great resource. Um, oh, okay. Okay. The website teachers with apps. So there are some Ooh. some sort of general curators okay. who right. have, um, you know, done a done a pretty good job of helping at least direct our attention yeah. towards apps that might be more beneficial for kids. Okay. Um, right. and, others, and, then, and not just apps, of course. You know, most of what we talk a lot about apps, but in terms of the data, young children still spend most of their time consuming video or television content, mm -hmm. um, whether that's streamed or. Okay. Or not. So the, those kind of old-fashioned story-based programming yeah. um, is really still one of the dominant ways that kids consume media. So that's where we just need to make sure parents understand, you know, what's appropriate for a three-year-old is not the same as what's appropriate for a seven-year-old. If we have kids in the same house, how do we find kind of our way, age it down a bit for our older kids yeah. um, if they're going to be watching together? And try to find those those joint interests. This is yeah. a very specific question, but like, what <laughs> do you think are the best television programs like on for young children right now? Yeah, I mean, Daniel Tiger's got to be right up there. Yeah, Daniel, um, I love Daniel. <laughs> Daniel Tiger is wonderful. I mean, the reality yeah. is that what's nice is that parents who are overwhelmed, one of the things we can, I mean, PBS and PBS Kids. Yeah, City yeah. um, Science Kids. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just such a wonderful, and yeah. honestly, they, they now have a, you know, they have a library that extends well into yeah. middle and elementary, so... When yes, yes. we're getting into a lot of power struggles in our house, sometimes we're like, nope, your only choices today are within PDS. And then at least we can know, yeah. like, we've got some right. pretty strong things there. And the cool thing about PBS, like, play and learn, there's all kinds of resources then for parents of young children. Maybe they're watching Daniel Tiger, and then they give them ideas or give us ideas for activities we can yeah. do or questions we can ask about, you know, maybe we don't have time to co-view because I'm trying to do distance learning with my fifth grader and blah, blah, blah. Right. But at least then I can, I can maybe, on the, you know, on the app can say, well, you can ask your child about what they do when they feel frustrated and mm -hmm. the, the kinds of follow-up interaction that, that can help them get a little bit more out of it. So I think those shows are um, 
really helpful because it's a reliable platform that we yeah. can go to when we're feeling overwhelmed by like all of the things on YouTube and all of the things yeah, on Netflix. Exa- I feel like things on YouTube and I, well, PBS does a great job of being slower paced, which I know yes. is such yeah. a big, important thing for like viewing a story like that. Um, because like YouTube is just like blah blah blah, blah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's so lot. hard to get kids off because of the autoplay. Yeah, like, oh, it never ends. Yeah, <laughs> and parents are really surprised. I mean, the other thing about early childhood is that the developmental window for what kids can understand via television is pretty narrow. When yeah. you're looking, like Elmo's world was created because two-year-olds did not understand Sesame Street. Wow. So, you know, even between two and three, you see these huge developmental shifts in their comprehension of story. Okay. Um, so there's these studies that show, you know, they'll show little kids like a, a half-hour-long program and, the, you know, friends are fighting the whole program, but then at the end there's this beautiful resolution and it's all about friendship and kindness and caring. And us adults are like, this is the best show. <laughs> and, you know, you ask a six-year-old, and a six-year-old gets the whole arc. They're like, oh, yeah, they were fighting, but... You know, yeah, yeah. they were they were right. really angry. They were nervous, and then they made up, and now they're friends. And then we learned about honesty. And little kids are like, you know, a, a three year old might be like, "Oh, they were. This was a show about fighting." Because yeah. twenty minutes in the show were kids fighting. Right, so, right. It's a you know, show like about the content. Fighting. Really, it, yeah, their comprehension okay. really changes. So it really matters. The younger the kid is, the more narrow kind of what's appropriate is. And then as kids get older, that expands, and you have way more yeah. options. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, that's amazing. Um, I know, little kids. Turns out they're, like, extraordinary. You know, they really are wired for story, and they do, but, you know, we have to really think about their age. Like, what what do they need from the world right now? So, right now, they need things that are soothing. (laughs) You know, shows that help them understand, like, having Elmo teach me how to wash my hands, having Elmo talk to me about, like, there's so much uncertainty, and us adults are bringing so much stress um, just because of what life is like right now. So, you know, like the, even the, um, you know, the Sesame Street town hall on how to talk to little kids about racism oh. and identity, like those yeah. things right now, yeah. we should be taking advantage of. Um, Absolutely. Because those are developmentally appropriate ways that we can make sure that kids are absorbing it, but we need to help them understand it and respond to it in, in ways that make sense at right, different right. ages. Totally. Okay. Well, is is there anything else that you think this episode needs in terms of technology information when it comes to young children? You know, I think we've we've covered so much. I think sometimes um, what's helpful for me is just to sort of step back um, and you know our guiding philosophy in at Spark and Stitch is that media and technology aren't inherently good or bad; they're powerful. Right. Um, and the good or bad depends upon how we use them. And when it comes to little kids, um, young children learn and they regulate stress through connection um, and through play and through active learning. So when we step back, we can start to just use that as a simple rubric of is this helping us connect or is it getting in the way of it? Is this is my child able to play and explore and experiment? Is it one of many things or are they passively consuming and 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 then you can start to make choices that just take into account real life but you're kind of keeping a developmental kind of uh lens right (laughs) Um, and you're you know again giving ourselves 
that grace and looking for patterns and and being willing to know that this is a really uncertain time and we're not crafting like our ideal digital learning and lives right, right now. Like we're trying to just make it work yeah. and that's okay. Um, and maybe that'll change when COVID, when we have more handle on the, on the pandemic. But for now, keeping those things in mind can ensure that we're really thinking about kids' mental health right now. Yes. Um, and what we know is that they need to, you know, stay connected and keep playing. And so let's use tech as one way to do that, but make sure it's not the only way. I love it. I love it too. It's perfect. Thank you so, so many good much, Erin. This is, you yeah, are this is amazing. knowledgeable. Well, it was so fun to connect with the two of you. Thanks for doing the podcast. Thank you so much, Erin. hang in there. Thanks for your work. Yeah, you kids. too. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. I Thank know. You. Oh, all right. Uh, hang in there. Take all care. Right. Thank you. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's our show. If you want to learn more about Erin and the work that she does with Spark and Stitch, you can go to her website, sparkandstitchinstitute.com, or you can head over to our website, thereflectiveteacherpodcast.com, for more information. We will certainly be posting all of those resources we talked about with Erin on our blog, so be sure to check it out. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to um, leave us a comment and rate the show in um, Apple Podcasts. That really helps push our podcast forward and we super appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time.